Desperate to leave her cartoon world, an animated woman hatches a plan to become real by having sex with a human. Join us as we discuss the evolution of the Hollywood sign, what this movie has in common with Game of Thrones, and our 2024 box office predictions. Then we find out if Cool World stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah, and joining me here, as always, you guessed it, it's James Brief. How you doing, Al? I'm excited. This is one of my favorite podcasts of the year. It's something we do every year at the beginning of the year. Cool world? And, uh, uh, no, not cool world. At the beginning of the year, sometime in January, we usually like to talk about the box office predictions for uh, the upcoming year. I like to think I'm pretty confident in my box office predictions because, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at this. Until 2023. Wow. Well, nobody got anything right this year. Oh, uh, someone did. Your son got one of the uh, movies right. Your son predicted Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and domestically, that was the number three film of the year. Number six worldwide, so uh, kudos on uh, your son. Uh, He he picked correctly. Way better than his dad and, uh, and I did. Well, I said that the Super Mario Brothers movie was going to do really well, and that was the number two of the year? Oh, yeah. Super Mario Brothers was number two worldwide and domestic. Do you remember your top three that you picked? Wait, I wrote it down here. Okay, I found it. I had Super Mario at three, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at two, oops, and The Little Mermaid at number one, bigger oops. I actually, I was very proud of my number three pick last year. That was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I specifically said, I have confidence in James Gunn. I think he's going to make a good film. And we've talked about this uh, several times, uh, like everyone else has talked about, maybe the Marvel fatigue. And I don't believe it's fatigue at all. I think if you give people quality films, you are going to get the box office return. I actually have not seen it, but uh, it was well, very well received. Um, it was a number four film uh, domestically and worldwide, so I do not get credit for that. But uh, I picked for number two, Fast X, uh, Fast 10. It didn't even make the top 10 of domestic. It was number 18. It was the fifth uh, highest grossing film of the year uh, worldwide. And number Number one, I picked Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It was beaten by Wonka worldwide. And wow. uh, yeah, that, that, that film just came out. Indiana Jones was beaten by Taylor Swift. Indiana Jones was beaten by 
Sound of Freedom. This, uh, you know, this this film that was a uh, you know, blockbuster film in uh, you know parts of the country. Yeah, but wasn't it that like they were buying up all the tickets? Like the the right wingers were like overinflating it. Maybe or maybe not. But regardless, it, it was a huge film. But we haven't talked about what was the number one box office hit of 2023, which neither of us predicted. Barbie. Correct. And there is a theme here. The two biggest movies of the year were based on IP. Barbie and Super Mario have been around for a very long time. Neither one of those is a new thing, but they were brand new movie franchises. And you can talk about Marvel fatigue. You can talk about superhero fatigue. I really think that the moral of this box office last year is that it's just franchise fatigue. Indiana Jones, people didn't give a shit. Mission Impossible, people didn't give a shit. Fast X, like these franchises have just been around so long that seeing the new one is... Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I mean, I'm surprised that you hadn't seen Guardians 3. It's fatigue. I'll get around to it. You're right. That is the definition of fatigue. And I think that with Barbie and Mario Brothers, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds, right? People know these names, but it's also something new, kind of, and that's good enough. You're right, they're based on IP, but there's a lot of IP this year. It's the same thing I'm saying. They were both good films. When you were saying there's a lesson here, the lesson is going to be something that Hollywood is going to completely miss. They're going to say, you want Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie, you got it. No, but it seems to me that they're going to make the wrong lesson from this. Oh, they they 100% are. Of all the predictions we can make, I am very, very confident that they will fuck this up. Hollywood's going to say, okay, we need more movies based on toys. And no, you know, the thing that made Barbie really good was that you had Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie who really cared about the story that they were telling and they put time and thought into it. They created a movie that was thoughtful and interesting and thought-provoking and really funny and entertaining and that's why people went to see it because it was based on a toy that was incidental i'm sure that got some butts in seats but that wasn't what gave it staying power exactly did you see barbie by the way uh, it's another one I haven't yet. Um, you know you know what it is? Uh, I don't really want to watch it alone, so I'll watch it with someone. Okay. Um, I did not think Oppenheimer would be the number three film worldwide. And domestically, it was number five. I thought that was really cool. Right. And I mean, Barbenheimer helped both of those movies. Just that's the world we live in. If something is a thing on social media, that doesn't necessarily automatically translate to the real world. But it can, and in this particular case, it did, and that was a a good thing for movie-going audiences. I still haven't seen Oppenheimer, and I, I really want to. But let's talk about 2024. What are your predictions for this year, James? Oh my god, this is a tough year. This is going to be yeah, it is. really, really difficult. I know one film that is big budget and is going to be critically acclaimed. That's Dune Part 2. 
Where exactly is that going to fall? I, I don't know. You've got a ton of big kid films from big IP that done very well before. You know, then there's a couple wild cards. Does Ghostbusters come out of nowhere? Furiosa. Do you want to do uh, number three first? Yeah, sure. Let, let's both do our number threes first. Okay, so number three, I actually predict it's going to be Joker or Wicked. And it's Todd Phillips. This guy is such an underrated director. Like, I've liked everything he's done. Really? To varying degrees. But I, I think he's going to pull it off. I, I really do. Joaquin Phoenix, he's he's a complete definition of wild card. You know, great guy to play the Joker. Wicked, I feel like, you know, it might be, it'll be successful. But, I, you know, I was choosing between the two of them. And because of the extra push of Lady Gaga in it, I'm just going with Joker. There's no movie coming out this year called Joker, so I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Okay. You speak French, James. Just I say know. it. I don't speak French. My father is French. Uh, Joker colon folle à deux. I don't know. Is that how to say it? I don't know. I don't fucking speak French. Folie? Sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's good enough. Um, I really don't fucking know at all. I'll say it if. It's this movie I don't know a lot about, but it's directed by John Krasinski, and it stars Ryan Reynolds, and it looks like it's just cute enough and family-friendly enough, but also maybe adult-oriented enough where everyone's going to go see this movie. It's coming out in May, right around Memorial Day. That's usually a good time. That is going to be the sleeper hit, the breakout hit. Yeah, I'm going with If. All right. But uh, for me, the number two film, the studio has really knocked out of the park with every one of these. They also knocked out of the park with last year's uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. I'm talking about Illumination Studios. I'm going to pick Despicable Me 4. Damn it, that was my pick. Okay, great. You know, there's uh, there's two number fours. I don't really have as much confidence in Kung Fu Panda 4. Oh, no. No, it's been too long. People forgot about it. While people really liked Inside Out, I, I see it as doing well. You know, Pixar is going to probably, you know, start to pick itself back up. I, I have a prediction that it had a couple clunkers. Not, not really huge flops, but uh, I have a feeling that Inside Out 2 is going to be uh, well-received. But I don't think it's going to make it to uh, the top three either. I agree. Honestly, looking at the list of movies coming out this year, that one is probably the movie I personally am most excited to see. But yeah, I don't know that that will translate to uh, box office success. What's your number one movie? I'm wondering if we're going to have the same pick for number one. I'm thinking that we are. Should we say it at the same time? Okay, let's go at the same time. Three, two, one. Deadpool Deadpool 3. 3. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And it's not because it's Deadpool. I think the thing is people are looking for something interesting. I think the humor is there. And the thing is, this is a reason to go to the theater. It's just going to be fun. I think it has all of the things going for it. I think it is the perfect movie to cure superhero fatigue Everyone loves Deadpool. This is the first Deadpool movie in the MCU. It's the first one under Disney. You know Ryan Reynolds is going to take a lot of shots at Disney, at Marvel, 
at superhero fatigue. It's the introduction of Wolverine and X-Men maybe into the MCU. I don't know, but everyone's going to want to know and everyone's going to be talking about it right away. It's a movie that you're going to have to see right away. This is not one of those movies that you can just put off and see eventually. And then Ryan Reynolds is going to have the biggest year of his career and everyone loves the guy. I'm still going to go with the biggest year of his career is when he sold Mint Mobile for a billion (laughs) dollars. Fine, as an actor. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, We we do love predicting a big flop, and uh, you were correct. Uh, Last year, I I believe you predict uh, Shazam. No, I said Dungeons and Dragons, colon, honor among thieves. Oh, you know, it wasn't the huge flop that it should have been. Uh, Maybe I said Shazam? I don't know. That's what I thought I said, but maybe someone could correct us. But uh, what do you think this year? Is there anything in your mind that stands out? My pick for flop of the year is going to be Twisters, the sequel to Twister. When that movie comes out, we can talk about Twister. I have that on our rough schedule for the rest of the year. But does anyone give a shit? No. So I think that will be a colossal flop. Um, I give a shit for exactly one reason, Al. What's that? I've never seen Twister. So... This is going to make me see Twister. Yeah, but then you're going to watch the old one for the podcast. You're not going to go and run out and see the new one. Well, uh, yeah, because obviously, you know, the late Bill Paxton can't be in this film. And I don't think Helen Hunt is. She's not listed as one of the main stars. Maybe she's in it, like, in the cameo or something. I have a feeling she's going to have a cameo, like, two-thirds of the way in. And Bill Paxton's going to have died, you know, chasing a storm or something, his character. Something, something, something. I, I think she'll have right, a right. surprise cameo. That, that's my guess. Okay. What's your pick for flop? I'm going to pick Madam Web. Okay. Um, I was picking between that and Craven the Hunter. The only reason I'm picking um, Craven the Hunter to be less of a flop is because, one, I really like Aaron Taylor Johnson. And two, it's going to be, I think it might be rated R. As long as they're not just like, oh, rated R, let's just put a lot of blood in it for no reason. As long as they do something with it, like uh, what John Wick did, uh, it might have a chance. I kind of like uh, Sydney Sweeney, so I'm kind of rooting for Madam Web, but I don't really have a horse in that race. She's uh, the White Lotus? Euphoria. Euphoria. Oh, okay. It's just I, I don't think Sony's done a really good job with it. I think they got kind of lucky with Venom. I don't know much about her. I do know she's very popular, so, yeah, you know, she, she'll be fine. Euphoria is going to be on for another couple of years probably, so, you know, even past Madam Web, she'll survive. Well, we will check in next January and see how we did. And speaking of flops, though, speaking (laughs) of movie flops, let's talk about 1992's Cool World. Right. I just kind of picked this movie because I saw that it was streaming on Paramount Plus and I was like, oh, I saw it once and I remember it being not great, but eh, you never know. Maybe it uh, aged better. That's not what happened. Spoiler alert. Uh, But what I remembered about the movie was that it was the sort of adult version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit because it was live action and it was cartoons together. But these cartoons had sex. But for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, it starts with Frank Harris. And after returning home from World War II, he's involved in a motorcycle accident that kills his mother. As he mourns, Frank is transported to a parallel cartoon universe known as Cool World. There, he becomes a cop and enforces Cool World's one law, 
Humans, or noids as they're known, are forbidden from having sex with cartoons, also known as doodles. Decades later, a cartoonist named Jack Deebs is brought into Cool World by a femme fatale named Holly Wood. Jack claims that he invented Cool World, but he was just drawing what he saw in his visions. Holly wants to become human, which she achieves by having sex with Jack. Holly and Jack are then sent to the real world, but they both turn into cartoon characters at random. Holly finds the spike, an artifact that can merge and destroy both worlds. Holly kills Frank, Jack stops Holly, and Frank is then resurrected in Cool World, where he presumably lives happily ever after. So I'm not going to ask you if this was a hit. We know this was a flop. How big of a flop was Cool World, James? The one thing it had going for it was that it was only a $28 million budget film, and it made half of that. It, it, it opened at number six uh, on uh, in sixth place on July 10th, 1992, with $5.5 million, limped its way to $14 million domestically. Um, I remember this film coming out. Uh, we were 12 years old at the time, and Hoover and Roger Rabbit was so huge for us. And, you know, sure. of course, when you saw the, uh, if you saw a trailer, you saw whatever advertisements there were for it, that's immediately what you start thinking of. They actually had a very clever marketing campaign. It was kind of a notorious stunt. Uh, they put a huge picture, a 75-foot picture of Hollywood, the uh, blonde Kim Basinger-based uh, animated character, on the Hollywood sign because her name yeah. is Hollywood. Uh, apparently, they only paid $27,000 to the city and an additional uh, 27000 uh towards a cleanup for the L.A. riots. And... I thought fifty-four thousand dollars, even in nineteen ninety-two dollars. Like I thought, it was actually kind of a well-done marketing campaign for what it was. We didn't know about it because we're here on the East Coast, and in LA, that sign is a big deal. And I could totally see why people would be pissed off about it, and there was backlash. And you know, how dare you uh, put this blonde bimbo on our beloved Hollywood sign? You know who really loved that Hollywood sign? Hugh Hefner. He was a big advocate of that sign, and he put a lot of his own money into restoring that sign. It's a thing. Some people just love those letters, and they mean a lot to a lot of people. Well, when you see films from the 70s or something that are being realistic, aren't the signs, like, falling apart? And uh, wasn't it, a, like, a notorious, like, thing in the 80s that they redid it? I think so. And originally it was, like, Hollywood Land. I think that's what it's yeah, spelled yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was very different than what it is today. Now it's iconic around the world. I know that if you want to show it in a TV show or a movie, you have to pay. You have to license it. And I don't think it's terribly expensive. Wow. That, that's very interesting. Yeah. True story. But okay, fine. So this was a huge, huge flop. You had never seen it. So what'd you think of it, James? Um, I was always kind of somewhat intrigued by this film. I knew it didn't have, like, IP, and I was wondering, maybe that's the problem. Uh, that's what Roger Rabbit had, and that was what made it so great. And I was like, no, like... The Disney characters kind of made cameos, but Roger Rabbit was all original characters. You had Roger Rabbit, you had Baby Herman, you had all those uh, Toon Henchmen, and even the bad guys animated. It's all, like, brand new. Yeah, Bugs Bunny and uh, Mickey Mouse make a cameo for a moment, but uh, I actually was wrong. It's, it's not the IP. What I think is just very odd about this film, besides a lot of plot problems... 
I think that uh, what you said uh, or in the podcast that this film was supposed to be this is the uh, adult version of Roger Rabbit. That could be really cool. There's a lot of stuff you could do with that, especially in the days before CGI. There's definitely something there. I I really keep wondering in this film, who is this marketed towards? And I can't figure it out. Did you read about the director of this film? Yeah, I, I did. And he was apparently like a big deal. And this was supposed to be his comeback. But... It wasn't. I didn't recognize the name. I got to be honest. Uh, did you? I know you're more of an animation buff than I am. No, I, I didn't recognize his name, but uh, he had made a film. I'd never seen it before, but it's this really famous film called Fritz the Cat. It's an animated film. Uh, it has a $700,000 budget, and it grossed $25 million in the U.S., $90 million worldwide. And until some later Disney film or something, it was the most successful animated film of all, of all time. Okay. But he was kind of the hard R animator. You know, he's a renegade, uh, not Disney, and not the Warner Brothers, not Looney Tunes stuff. Uh, and this film was originally going to be one of these rated X hard R films, but I think a lot of this film has kind of Roger Rabbit attempts at uh, Roger Rabbit charm, and they're just kind of random tunes doing like wugga wugga loony ish toony stuff. You know, it's trying to be cute, but also very adult in other tones. I can't figure out what where they were trying to go with this film. I think you hit it on the head, James. Really, what I think they were going for was, hey, what was the best thing about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Jessica Rabbit. Because she was hot. And so what if we made a movie that also had a really hot cartoon character, but she fucks. And we get to see her fuck. And there's cartoons fucking and also they fuck humans whoa that's so cool sorry i said the word fuck so much sorry if i got a little carried away there uh but i think that was what they were going for and yeah if you make that a hard r movie maybe you can make that interesting but then they made this pg-13 movie and a lot of the cartoon world stuff is cartoony meaning silly meaning hey these guys hit each other with hammers and anvils and their teeth fall out and lolol but then the sex isn't cartoony the sex is played as it's supposed to be sexy and you have these two very different tones that don't work together because you're just not sure am i supposed to be laughing at the sex no i don't think so like you could make the sex funny you could make the violence real or more realistic but they don't and they keep these things very separate and it's weird i think if this movie had picked a tone and they could have even gone with camp i think it could have worked if the whole thing was just silly and just preposterous and hey guys here's what we're doing we're making a Roger Rabbit movie, except the characters all have sex. Isn't that funny? Isn't that crazy? Or made a hard R movie. I think, though, by trying to make it PG-13, they fucked it. And apparently the director, Ralph Bakshi, Boxy, I'm not sure how you say his name, he was pissed. There were rewrites that happened behind his back. This was not the movie that he pitched. This was not the movie that he wanted to make. And... 
I don't know that the movie that he wanted to make would have been better, but I can certainly understand why he was pissed with the final product. I read this quote from Kim Basinger. She approached the uh, the production company and she said something like, I think it would be great if we could do a film where we could show this cartoon in hospitals for sick children. And the director, uh, Ralph Bashke, he said, Kim, I think that's wonderful, but you've got the wrong guy to do that with. Like, I am a naughty cartoon director. Don't get confused by the word cartoon, you know? I think I know the reason why you said fuck a lot, because that has to be the pitch. They're like, yeah, yeah Hollywood is beautiful. Hollywood, uh, which is obviously based on Kim Basinger, who is beautiful herself. And sure. we're going to talk about sex, but you're not going to actually show any of it for being, you know, such a hard cartoon. If you would go on hard R and these cartoons, this isn't Disney. This isn't Toontown from Roger Rabbit. This isn't a comical villain. They're doing drugs and they're robbing banks and they're having sex. And yeah, maybe you see some boobs here and there. Maybe they're cartoony boobs. Like they blow up like the way, you know, someone's eyes blow up when they see a beautiful woman. But they don't go there at all. I, I think, and I'm not positive about this, but wasn't the original idea for Game of Thrones that George R.R. R. Martin was like, what if there was Lord of the Rings, but with fucking like that was kind of his initial idea. I, I don't know if that's really true, but like in Lord of the Rings, there's characters who marry and have children, but it's more of like the Disney version where they're not really talking about sex. And yes, characters die, but there's not horrifically graphic torture and stuff like that. And that was interesting to him. And he thought, hmm, I think I could make a more brutal, adult, realistic version of this type of world. And it worked. It worked in the novels. It worked on the HBO show. But it doesn't really work in this cartoon world. And I think it could. I've never seen that movie Heavy Metal, which I think is an adult cartoon uh, with a sexy lady with big boobs. I, I really don't know a lot about it. We could do it on the podcast at some point. Oh, please, let's not. I know it's an anthology film. It's got like 25 different little sci-fi uh, vignettes in it. I guess if you want to do it one time, we can. If something like uh, Heavy Metal 3000 comes out or something. But, uh, <laughs> but, but at least Heavy Metal was famous in that there is a market for it. Uh, Team America World Police. Like there is a market for a puppet film that's going to be rated R and a hard R. Well, I think part of the problem is that they didn't just want it to be animated. They wanted to do the animation mixed with live action. And if you are going to show a cartoon character and a human having sex, then you really got to make that look good. And I don't mean make it look good like, you know, well-shot pornography. I mean the animation and live action have to work together in a way that is going to feel realistic and look believable on camera. And in this movie, when the humans interact with the cartoons, it looks like fucking dog shit. It's bad. It looked way better in Roger Rabbit, which came out four years prior you would think that maybe technology would have advanced. Maybe it didn't. Maybe the budget was too low. Maybe these animators weren't so good at it. I don't know. But if that's what you're selling, 
this movie's going to show a cartoon fuck a person, then it's got to be something that is visually interesting. And it ain't. All of the interactions between the cartoons and people I thought was terrible. Um, you know, I'm going to say uh, two things that I like about this film. One, I love the name Hollywood. I think that's just very clever. I, I think she's just kind of a Betty Boop kind of character. I think it's a great name. Yeah, because that's an expression in California. Hollywood if she could, but she can't, so she won't. Uh, and I think that's the tagline for the film, Hollywood if she could. I didn't know that was a whole thing. Yeah, my dad used to say that. Um, but uh, the other thing I like about this film is actually the uh, the way this film is shot, I actually think is kind of brilliant. I really like the cinematography in that this was not Brad Pitt on green screen, or some green screen. This was a lot of live sets, kind of reminiscent of Dick Tracy. And it was only very carefully that I go, holy shit, that's not an animated thing. That's a real, like, painted thing that Brad Pitt is going around. I thought he was moving around some green screen at first. And again, there is some green screen that he interacts with. But I actually was surprised how much live action there is in this film, or rather how many live sets there are. I was personally impressed by that. Uh, The cartoon animation, I'm going to say, this was like 80s television show animation level. I really thought these were kind of stills from almost like a G.I. Joe cartoon. I, I was I was yeah. not impressed by uh, by the actual animation. Again, while I thought Hollywood was drawn wonderfully, but every other animation I thought was just completely lackluster and forgettable, completely forgettable, and something from the 70s or 80s. Yeah, it didn't look great. I also thought that maybe the version of it that I was watching maybe wasn't like super HD. I watched it on the TV I have in the basement, which is only 720p. I thought maybe Paramount Plus didn't uh, put the most high res version. It just looked low res. That that could be a function of my TV or the transfer or whatever. But I was not impressed with the animation. I also wasn't impressed with the plot or the story, or the rules of this universe, because none of it makes any fucking sense at all. Right. Like, the rule in Cool World is humans can't have sex with cartoons. But there's only one human there, and it's Brad Pitt. How does he know what happens if he has sex with a cartoon? Because apparently he never has, even though he has a girlfriend who's also beautiful and he hangs out with her all the time and all they do is talk about how they can't have sex, even though he's Brad Pitt and she's this gorgeous cartoon. I guess I can give them credit for self-restraint, but like, how is this working? And how does he know that it's a bad thing if they do have sex, something bad will happen? Like, they, they don't know that. Because it's never happened. Yeah, so Brad Pitt is this World War II soldier. Yeah. He goes home to his mom. Why did they make this character the mom and not a girlfriend? This mom takes a motorcycle ride with Brad Pitt. I guess that's still the way your mom's going to hold on to you if she's riding behind you in a, in a motorcycle. But the way she's hugging him and just smiling in the wind, this is the greatest moment of my life. That's like two lovers. That's like, it was, it's just weird why they made it his mom. 
Sure. The thing that leapt out at me more was the fact that neither one of them was wearing a helmet. That's also deliberate because then they get into a car crash and the mom dies. But, you know, if he's not going to wear a helmet, fine, but protect your mom, man. Right. But there was something actually very intriguing in that first scene. I like the time jump. But what happened when Brad Pitt, he gets into a regular motorcycle accident in the middle of the desert in 1945 Nevada. There is nobody for a hundred miles in any direction. No, that's not true. The person who hits him is coming out of a saloon brothel gambling establishment. All right. The point is that I found very intriguing about that scene. He has sudden flashbacks to World War II. He goes, grenade down! Everyone down! Medic! He's going for a medic when he sees his mom. The guy is completely having a, a flashback to World War II. He has shell shock, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. And they don't go back to that at all. He makes one reference that in the real world, they have wars. Was there any payoff to him being a World War II guy other than allowing him to have that awesome 1940s hairdo? I don't think so. I wasn't sure if like maybe the trauma of the accident led to him going to Cool World, or maybe the flashbacks had something to do with it. It's not clear. It's not explained how he gets to Cool World. I was assuming that it had something to do with it, but I don't fucking know. It had something to do with the spike of power, whatever the fuck that thing was, which it could have been a perfectly fine MacGuffin for the film. The thing that bridges Toon World to the real world. And that's fine. But this spike of power, like, it didn't go anywhere. And why was Brad Pitt selected? Why Frank? They could have just said, the love you had for your mother and something unique or some reason. They also explained that Cool World had always existed. This cartoonist played by Gabriel Byrne, he was just given visions of this Cool World. They mentioned Jack uh, has these visions and that's what he's been drawing. But yeah, they don't really do anything with that either. Is he taking credit for these creations? And that's why the people of Cool World hate him? Because he dares to say that he invented Cool World when no, he did not? It doesn't really seem like that's a motivating factor. I guess it kind of makes sense that Holly would target him to bring him into Cool World if he thinks that he created her Kind of? Was that like the long con? Was that the game from the beginning that she wanted him to think that he created her? It's just all murky. Nothing is explained. Also, then we find out that this guy went to jail for murdering his wife's lover. And when they mentioned that, I was like, okay, so maybe we're going to find out that he didn't kill that guy. He was framed by a cartoon or something. No. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Because he had these visions and it was the evil guys there. It just didn't. No. There's no payoff. And then at the end of the movie, he is kind of like the hero. And okay, you can have a murderer be your hero in a movie if he learns a lesson and goes on a journey and grows as a person and character development, yada, yada, yada. None of that happens. He's just like... The guy who becomes the hero and the uh, the old man, Doc Whiskers, the cartoon who is in the real world is like, oh, wait, I wrote it down because it was so cheesy. He says, 
He's fulfilling his destiny. He's becoming a hero. What about this character indicated that he was destined to become a hero? Nothing. He's a murderer as of now. We've seen the hero's journey in a million movies. None of that is there. Like, it's just, oh, crap, we need someone to be a hero. How about this character? I'm actually glad you said that because I was wondering if I missed something about him. Always wanting to be... Yeah, the hero. That's why I draw these things, because I could never be the hero. There you go. Right. That's so easy. And the other stuff, Holly just has to explain what's so bad about being a toon. I mean, you never age. She seems to be incredibly popular there. Brad Pitt's character, Frank, in the end, he's in the cartoon world, and apparently that is the most wonderful happy ending that he could have. Is she a bad guy? Is she a good guy? In the end, does she does she have to suffer? Uh, I, I just don't quite get who I'm rooting for in this film. Well, I thought the whole thing with Holly was that she wants to be real. She wants to experience real life and real sensations, right? She, she says that she doesn't really taste things or touch things or feel things or smell things. And she wants to know what it's like to have sex, real sex with a human. I thought that the movie was going to be making some kind of statement about sexuality and the rules that we as a society have put on sex. Maybe it's a metaphor for interracial sex or gay sex or maybe just sex in general. We're a puritanical society. We have taboos about premarital sex. There are all of these rules that society has about sex. Forbidden sex. You're right. Right. Maybe this movie's going to make a point that all of these rules that exist about sex are dumb. This whole cartoon can't have sex with a human rule. It's arbitrary. It's stupid. Everyone should be able to have sex. I was thinking that. I was thinking that this movie is going to have a point and it is going to be a sex positive point. I was wrong. None of that happens. None of those metaphors are there or presented in any way. Holly is the villain. She is the villain because she wanted to have sex, and the guy who is the hero is the man who is a murderer who killed his wife's lover who punches his way through the cartoons and stops Holly, and she was a cartoon, and now she can only have sex with cartoons, and that is her puritanical punishment, I guess? Like, what the fuck? What is this movie trying to say It could have had a point. It really could have. Very easily. Well, it's really interesting what you said, the idea of sex possibly being a metaphor. Because I'm thinking one of the few things in in the film that actually worked for me was Brad Pitt's character and this love interest of his, she can't have him. And uh, it's very sad. I thought that was a very interesting thing to explore. Yeah, they get together in the end, but only because he turns into a cartoon. It could have been, no, we're a tune and not a tune. Now we can be in love. Uh, but you're right. They didn't go there at all. It was conform and then you could, uh, you could have that. The girlfriend that you're talking about is Lynette. That is the character's name that Frank is with, even though he's not able to be with her in the biblical sense. That's not right. You know what I mean. He couldn't know her in the biblical sense. There you go. But Frank is killed in the real world. Holly pushes him off of the balcony and he is dead and his partner who's like a spider brings him back to Cool World and says Lynette deserves to see him 
dead or alive. Then Lynette is crying over his dead body, and she says, what happened? Who killed him? The spider partner says, oh, it was Holly. And she says, wait, was Holly a human? And he says, yes, of course, she was a human. And she says, well... Don't you know that if a Noid gets killed by a doodle in the real world, well, then he becomes a doodle. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? No one said that. Again, with the arbitrary rules. This is bullshit. You could have easily planted that. You had this weird professor character. That's kind of the uh, guide. He could have easily listed like 10 random rules and that could have been one of them. Yeah. There's no reference at all. It's the definition of a deus ex machina. It's ridiculous. Um, I do have to correct you. It was Carlin Truck who joined us last week. She made a comment on Facebook. It's pronounced deus ex machina. Uh, and I have to give her credit because she was uh, just a guest. It's not deus ex machina. That is my, I think, first time ever mispronouncing something on this podcast. That and is incorrect. Maybe second. No. But I guess I'll ask you, even though I think I know what the answer is, James, do you think Cool World stands the test of time? Uh, you know, I, I, I really gave it a chance. I had absolutely no knowledge of this film at all, except the fact that it was a flop. And I was actually kind of thinking that this film has a chance of sneaking up on me. No, I just stared at the screen. I did a couple times, like, push the remote to see where I am in the time bar. I did do that. That's <laughs> not a good sign. It, this was a chore. While it had a good premise, it could have been good. But no, this film does not stand the test of time. Uh, what do you think, Al? Definitely not. This is a really, really bad movie. And doing a little research on it today, I saw that some people have revisited it and have decided that it's good and it, it's like a cult classic. I'm like, why? There is no redeeming quality at all. Other than, I guess, Gabriel Byrne and Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger are all good actors. Um, they are all trying really hard and they're doing their best with really, really shitty material in a way that I think works against the movie. If this movie starred three really shitty actors who were trying to do good, but they sucked, you know, like a bad B movie kind of thing, maybe it would have been better like maybe it would have been more laughable maybe you could have been like okay this is so bad it's good they're trying and god bless them god bless the three of them for for doing their best and really trying with this movie but it just doesn't work on any level the animation is bad the sex isn't sexy the comedy isn't funny the story is pure fucking nonsense there's just nothing in here that is worthwhile I guess unless you just like looking at hot cartoons and if that's what you're into, no judgments, but you don't need to watch Cool World. There's the internet. You can find what you're looking for. Yeah, I I was really, really disappointed in this movie. We've watched a lot of shitty movies on this podcast. This is definitely the worst movie we have ever watched this year dad joke i was gonna say this was one of the worst films i i've probably ever seen uh you know it was really really bad i do not recommend it thank goodness it wasn't two and a half hours but it was an hour and 41 minutes of my life gone i can say one thing 
that is nice about this movie. Not being facetious. The soundtrack includes a song by David Bowie called Real Cool World. Is it the best David Bowie song? No, definitely not. It's okay. It's a David Bowie song. That is the best thing about this movie. Some people do like the soundtrack uh, and it's kind of orchestral techno kind of vibe. That's not really my thing, but I will compliment that one track by David Bowie. Also, though, David Bowie, why the fuck did you write an original song for this piece of shit movie? You should have known better. Someone should have talked you out of it. We have no idea what he was pitched. This is a sexy world, and these are people that have human urges. Man, you ever see Fritz the Cat? Yeah, he's making a new film. You never know what he was pitched. Fair. Also, not really about it standing the test of time, but that neighbor character who, like, then becomes important after she's just kind of nosy. It's just so stupid. There's, like, a flash in this house, and the neighbors decide to go into his house to check on him. Their neighbor, who just got out of jail for murder, they decide to break into his house because they saw a blue light. Yes, we, the audience, know that that blue light was, in fact, a weird thing because of the parallel universe. No, 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 no. That does not make any fucking sense that is a very 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 stupid thing to do um let me just ask you as a personal preference james who do you think is hotter sexy cartoon holly or the clown cartoon holly that she kind of transforms into at the end when she's in the real world (laughs) that was not expected i I will say (laughs) that i did not expect her to go between tune real world and clown tune it was so weird so weird al you said weird al yeah i know i know well Sorry that I picked this movie, but that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to talk about She's All That. I saw that the movie is celebrating its 25th anniversary. I was like, yeah, okay. I've never actually seen it. Have you seen it? I feel like everyone our age has seen it. I saw it in the theater at the Trip Hammer Mall in Ithaca, New York. I did not. I was not invited to that movie outing. Fuck you. That hurts my feelings 25 years later. I think we had met like 10 days earlier. I just looked it up. Uh, the film was released on January 29th, 1999. And you and I met sometime in late January 1999. I feel like I should have gotten that invite. Well, you can apologize to me next week. Uh, listeners, we want to know what you think about Cool World, about animation about sexy cartoon characters about what movies will be big at the box office this year write to us we are at test of time pod on facebook x instagram and threads and we'll see you next time everybody bye